drifted white as snow. He washed us white as snow. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. I just ask that you would be with us in this moment. Would you just soften our hearts, open up our minds to directly what you have for us. Every person in this room has a different past, has a different story to tell. And you want to speak something new and true into us today. I just ask that you would allow each of these individuals to be open and accepting of what you have for them. Thank you so much for your son and the gift that he truly is to us. We are so unworthy of the life that you've given us. Thank you for your obedience, Jesus. And thank you for everything that you continue to do through us. In your name I pray, amen. Good morning, River Rock. How are we doing? Labor Day weekend. It's a great weekend. Sun's out as it's been all summer, it seems. And we just get to enjoy that with an extra day with our kids. Awesome, right? So this week, we're going to be talking about true community. And the reason that this has just been on my heart recently is, one, we're entering into a new season with this church. We are going into two new services, and we are so excited for this, but we know that we just want to somehow grow our community, but at the same time strengthen it. We want to be solidified in what true community looks like. This past week was a really, really difficult week for myself. We decided to go over our homework in all of our classes of what we're going to be doing the rest of this year in our syllabuses, syllabi, whatever you want to call it, and I was super stressed about everything that I have to get done this semester. And as it happened, it just overwhelmed me one night. And I really just broke down. And I live in a house with seven other guys, and we get tons of homework done. No, just kidding. And I, I got to this point where I said, you know what, I, I need to know that these guys have my, have my back, that they can support me. God was testing my community, and so I go upstairs, and um, my friends, my roommates, my brothers, they lay hands on me, and they pray over me, and they just, they just welcome in this peace into my heart and into my life, and as soon as um, Wes starts praying over me, all of a sudden, tears come out of my eyes, and I start sobbing, and I'm not an emotional guy. I, I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like to put myself out there. I like to make myself seem macho even though I'm skinny as a stick. Like, I like to be strong for other people. And so for me to be on my knees in front of these guys, I, I embraced a true community. And I loved it. And I want the same for each one of you. And I want that to be how it is in this church. And I think we can do that. By looking at John chapter 17, if you would open there with your Bibles, please, with me. Unlock your phones, whichever you got to do. When you turn there, you'll see it's the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying. And he's praying to his dad like he always does. And he's praying on behalf of his disciples, himself, and us. And he's praying to his dad to be with him in this moment. Verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, 
The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. In this first verse, we already see Jesus praying to his dad, and he looks right into heaven. He looks straight at his dad. He looks straight into the place where his dad is. And heaven can mean mean a lot of things. It can mean the sky. It can mean the stars. It can be the place where God sits on his throne. But in this sense, it means the atmosphere around Jesus. So Jesus is not praying to his dad with a wish list, hoping that he's listening from far away. God is right there in this moment. God is in his presence And he gets to talk to him face to face here. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus is about to enter the climax of his entire ministry. He's about to be betrayed by Judas, thrown up on a cross, get nails driven through his hands. And he doesn't want to go through that alone. Who would? And so he asks his father, Would you go with me through this ordeal? Would you help me get through this moment? Because I can't do it on my own. Even Jesus has a point where he is vulnerable. And the fact that he puts this in the Bible, that he allows for these words to be said, for his vulnerability, for his humanness to be shown here, is incredible. Because it shows me that even in his life, in his ministry, he had trouble. And he desperately wanted his father's presence as well. He wants that community with his father, and that's the community that we're going to be looking at this morning, between his father and him. Continue on in verse 2 and 3. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may have eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is basically the dictionary definition of what eternal life looks like. And Jesus says it is knowing God and knowing the one who he has sent. Growing up in Sunday school class, I learned heaven to be a place where I could run forever on clouds, kicking a soccer ball with Jesus and eating Twinkies on the sideline. That's how I imagined heaven to be, a place, a perfect place, with golden streets. But that's not what eternal life really looks like. That might be a place where you spend eternity with God, but eternal life is living life with God. So it's not working and hoping for a halo and wings one day. It's living life with Jesus Christ. And so the first point I'm going to make this morning about true community is knowing God. If you know God, you know what true community looks like because he's always there for you. He wants to be there for you. He's always listening to your prayers. He's wanting to talk to you 24-7. He's letting you be in his presence. So you must know what true community looks like if you know God. He's such an incredible, incredible person. And he allows us to enter into eternal life here on earth. We don't just take up eternal life when we walk through those golden gates like we've got this brand new one waiting for us. We're living in it right now here on earth. We are invited into a relationship with God and we are living our eternal life right now because we are building that relationship. We are building that community. And because of that relationship, we have church today where we get to know each other and we get to live life with each other. 
And so he's praying all of this that we might know what eternal life really looks like. Moving on to verse 4. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is referencing a point in time when the world was not even in existence. Before the world was, before we were, it was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, they are one, but they also live in community with one another. And so he's referencing this glory that they had. And that glory that he had in that moment, that honor, that praiseworthiness, is the same honor and glory that we get to receive. And in, in that moment, God decides one day to make the world, to make us. And so he forms us out of dust, and he invites us into a relationship with him. But then we sinned, and our relationship with him was damaged. And we needed help to rediscover this relationship that we, we had damaged ourselves. And so Jesus is given eternal life from the Father, God holds this eternal life in his hands and he gives it into Jesus and Jesus comes into this world to allow us to have this eternal life. And in verse four it says, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. What a bold statement. Jesus is just gonna say, hey, pops, I did it all. Basically everything you said, I did it. When I, when I see this, I, I think of that one family you always see at Walmart. Um, You have the mom hop out of the minivan, and then there's about three or four kids that hop out after her. They probably should have spaced the kids out a little bit more, but, you know, no judging, right? And they come out, and she kind of huddles them up together, and she tries to make a good pep talk, but a stern pep talk at the same time. And so she says, okay, here's the list, okay? We are getting the items on this list and nothing more, okay? So you guys are going to stay close to my basket. We're going to get what we need. We're going to go inside the store, and we're going to leave. Nothing more. Stay close to me. Don't throw a fit. Everything seems good. The kids are having fun. The clouds are awesome. They walk inside the store, and it's like they never even heard the pep talk. As soon as she grabs the cart, you got one kid running to the snack packs to see what new flavor of the week they have. There's always the kid that's arguing Cocoa Puffs or Cocoa Roos. It's Cocoa Puffs. And then you have the kid that's just nagging at mom, like, why are we even here? What are we doing? You have the kid that's always grabbing the things on the lower racks and sneaking them in the, in the cart when she's not even looking, adding to that list. And she's just seeing that this basket's getting so, so, so full. And you can see that that relationship seems a little off. That they're just not obeying her. That they're just not doing what she asks. They get distracted by the things that they can see and that they can sense and they can feel. See, for myself, when I was that age maybe all the way up till I was 15, let's be honest, and I would leave my mom. I would just kind of get distracted. I would see something new. I would see something cool, and I would be the guy that would go up to the cashier lady at the front and say, hey, can you, can you call Linda Payton on the monitor real quick because I, I lost my mom. And so they would call out to her, and she would come and find me at the very front. And maybe that's the, that's the way you live life. You decided to walk away from what God had for you instead of staying close to him and you decide to try to find life and figure it out on your own. Or maybe you're the one that decided to stay close with God for a little bit 
but then saw something better and grabbed hold of it and held it tight and decided that was going to take your relationship to the next level. That's what's going to feed your love, feed your energy. You're just going to hold on to that for just a little bit more. God's still right over here. But God comes into this life with us holding the basket and just asks for us to stay close. Stay close to the cart. Everything inside this basket is what you need. And I will give it to you when you need it. You don't need to worry about what's going on around you because I'm going to carry you through life. I'm going to let you enjoy the fruits of this eternal life that I'm offering you. And I see myself continually being unfaithful to that. The second point to true community is being faithful. When you see a child obey their parent, you see an incredible relationship. One that looks at their mother or their father and has so much respect. So why should we not show the same to God? He outlines for us exactly what we need. I hear it so many times from talking with high school students or with my friends in college trying to figure out life. Like, Quentin, I just don't understand what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know if I'm supposed to be a nurse. I don't know if I'm supposed to continue uh, in college anymore. I had a friend come to me one time and say, hey, I don't think ministry is for me anymore. I'm just going to drop out of school. And he drops out of school, and he ends up in Seattle planning a church. I was like, yeah, ministry is not for you. Okay. But the point is, the fact of the matter is that all the time that they're worrying about what they're supposed to do with life, it's already outlined here in the Bible. And Jesus says it is two things, love God and love others. He outlines for us how we're supposed to live life. And all we have to do is get inside this word to figure that out. So we, we must be faithful in that matter. Dropping down all the way to verse 11 with me real quick. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And that last little bit of verse 12, you'll see that the scripture would be fulfilled. Again, that's just something that happens in what seems like every gospel. You'll see these little excerpts of, um, so the scripture would be fulfilled. So the words of Isaiah would be fulfilled. Jesus is being faithful to God. Isaiah had proclaimed these things about what the Messiah would do, and he is accomplishing these things. And he's just showing his faithfulness through and through. And in this in these two verses, he's talking about his 12 disciples. He's talking about the 12 men that have been following him for the past two and a half, three years, who've seen him go through everything, the miracles, the walking on water, all in between. He has shown them who he is. And in verse 11, we see that Jesus calls to his father as Holy Father. Holy Father. That is the only time that Jesus refers to his father as holy, where he looks into his father's eyes and says, Holy Father, with this amazing image of endearment. And he prays this prayer over his disciples, over his 12 that he's been living with. And he says this to keep them in God's name, to protect them in God's name. Now, I don't know about you, but that just really doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. How would a name 
be so powerful? How would a name be so protective? I mean, isn't it just like a couple of words? Well, let's see. How many of us know who Lance Armstrong is? Right. So we all have some different thoughts about Lance Armstrong. I get it. Some of us think of him as a very good athlete, someone who knows France really well. Some of us think of him as a guy that's beat cancer multiple times. But then also some of us remember that incident with the blood doping, and we don't have the best feeling about him anymore. We have different convictions, different thoughts, different feelings, and all we really have is that name to think about. But we think of more than just that word. We think of who he is, what he believes in, how he lives life. What if we change just one word to Neil Armstrong? We think astronaut. We think an adventure seeker, a pioneer, an American. And that's just a name. And everything has changed as soon as we think about who really is that. Moses, in chapter 3 of Exodus, is talking to God. And God is in the process of handing down the commandments. And Moses asks for his people, you know, He's, he's a pretty smart guy at times, and he asks, you know, my people are going to ask who you are. They're going to want a name. So what is that name that I can tell them of who you are? And God just plainly says, I am. I can see Moses being like, all right, okay, I see you, okay, I don't get it. And I, I think about it, and he doesn't really clarify much until Jesus comes. And Jesus comes, and in in John, he says seven statements to describe who I am is. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 8, 12, Jesus said to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 9. I am the door. He who enters through me will enter into eternal life and go in and out and find pasture. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty four and 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this john 14 6 jesus says i'm the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and maybe most powerful at least to myself john 15 5 i'm the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing Jesus comes and he describes who I am is. I am his life, his truth, his power, his love. And he gives this name to his disciples to bring it out to the rest of the world. 
to show the world who the light of the world is as a people of God, as we bear his name, as we represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth because we're bringing a whole entire new world to this world and we're trying to show people who exactly our father is. We're trying to show them what a community looks like. We're giving them hope. We're giving them peace, a foundation to build the rest of our civilizations and we're giving all of this hope into Jesus as he says, I am, I am. And he gives this to his disciples for protection, for power. The third point to true community is finding your identity. And for us, finding our identity in God and finding our identity in Christ is where we get that protection, that power. Because when we're under God's name, when we get that incredible name, God's looking out for us. God's leading the way for us. He's sending the Holy Spirit in front of us to do the mighty work and prepare the road before us. He's keeping us close to that basket and allowing us to indulge in that relationship with him. Moving on to verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus says that when we are in relationship with God, the same guy he's praying to in this prayer, we will have his joy, and it will be made full. It's not pieces that we pick up along the road. It's given to us as a fruit of the Spirit. We get the whole thing. We don't have to work at it to find it. He just gives it to us. And we need that joy that he talks about Because of these next two verses. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. As I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus did exactly what God had him do. Every step of the way, he did it correct. He did it perfectly. And he ended up dead. He ended up on a cross and he died. And then God restored him to life through his incredible power. And now we get to live in that life with Jesus Christ. But Jesus did exactly what his father said. And it wasn't an easy road. And we can't imagine a a life with God being easy. Because it's not supposed to be. The world is supposed to hate us. The world just doesn't think like we do. They don't have the name of God on their back. They don't see the same things we do. We're opened up into this hope and to this light of being able to pray to God as he's in our atmosphere. And we have to show others who he is. We have to reveal the word to him, to them. And he, he asked for us to be protected by the evil one. Satan is the one that tempted us with the fruit in the very beginning because he wants us to break away from that community with God. He wants us to be distracted He doesn't want us to be involved with God because he sees the power that God has in us and he doesn't like that. He likes us to be involved in the culture of this world, to be involved in the lust and the greed and the money and everything that this world has to offer offer, and build our community off of that, which crumbles and fades away. And so Jesus asked for protection from the evil one because he is good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. In, in uh, verse 16 on through 19, we see how, God, how Jesus can help us with this. He says, 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Go ahead and look at the word sanctify there. I know it's thrown all around in those bit of verses. And you see someone or something set aside for ordinary use, from ordinary use, and dedicated uniquely to God. Jesus was set apart by God to do an incredible mission for an incredible purpose. And just like he was set aside, we are set aside by God for an incredible purpose. You look at them in uh, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw the glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was with God. And the word becomes flesh through Jesus Christ. And he sanctifies himself on the cross for us to accept that word, to accept the truth of community and build a community based on the word. It comes to us through Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for him sanctifying himself so that we might be sanctified in him. To have this community built on Jesus Christ to have hope, to have I am, to have our identity found in him. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Don't miss that. Verse 20 says that Jesus is praying for you right now. In this moment, Sorry, in that moment, he is praying for you. He's praying the same things he's been praying over his disciples, that you would be protected, that you would enjoy life with God, that you wouldn't have to suffer on your own. If anyone knows it's Jesus, how hard this life is, how hard this life can be, how the pressures of culture, how the pressures of family can dictate our lives sometimes and he wants us to know that there, we are not alone, that he has gone through this, that he wants us to have hope in him. Believe that he's putting you through all of this or having you go through this not alone but with God so that you would be stronger and more equipped for what he has for you later in life. Verse 21 that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. That's a lot of I, me, we, see. Yeah, there's a lot, right? This is basically what's going on. Jesus is saying, we're all going to be one. There's no more divisions. There's no more um, 
awkwardness between us, there is this, this incredible relationship that we have. And we get to be in unison with God the Father and Jesus Christ. We have to be one. We have to be united in this world. The, I think it was Thursday night. Thursday night, yes. I was trying to process everything that happened the night before with, you know, the guys praying over me and me just being overwhelmed with everything. And so I, I knew I needed to get away. And so I used to play soccer growing up, but since I've stopped playing soccer, I've picked up running. As crazy that might seem to some of you guys, um, I decided to go for a run. And in my mind, I first wanted to just do three miles. I was like, that, that I can do that. Let's just start with three miles. So I start running. As soon as I get out three miles or so, I have my phone with me doing the GPS thing. And as soon as I hit three miles, I'm like, I'm not that tired, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. Trying to clear my head of everything, I hit six miles. And I'm like, I'm a little tired, but I'm still kind of far to campus, so i got to head back now. I might as well. I hit seven and a half, and I'm getting a little tired, but still I have to get back to campus, so I keep running. And then all of a sudden, I hit nine miles. And I'm like, wow, where did the time go, wow, oh my gosh, and then I hit a wall, not an actual wall, but thank, thank the Lord, and I hit this wall, and a wall for runners is when your body screams at you to stop running, every fiber of pain in your body just tells you to stop, and your brain just kind of starts going into this slow motion thought of slowing down, stopping, and catching your breath, and just walking the rest of the way. And I hit this wall, and it was screaming at me to stop. It was overwhelming. And so I just, I kept pushing through this wall, and I kept running through it. And after a minute or two, I entered into this best described thing as a euphoria, a runner's high, where you just feel like all of a sudden you can run for forever. And you just hit it, and you just go, and you just keep running, you just keep your legs going, and you just feel incredible. I ended up running a half marathon. Yeah. I regretted it the next morning. And what I realized is that is the same way that I tried to live life. I had decided since I really got into high school that I was going to have my own faith, which isn't a bad thing. And I was going to have my own relationship with God, but that was going to be basically the extent of it. I was going to run by myself in this life with God and didn't expect anyone to come along beside me and help me through things. And so every time I hit a wall in life, I thought, okay, Jesus is going to come in here. He's going to help me get through this wall. And I'm going to be able to conquer it through his incredible power. And I'm not going to be overwhelmed with what comes at me. And I'm going to run for days afterwards. But that's not always the case. Because when we live in our faith alone, all those things just overwhelm us. How we have to be at work every day. How we have to take care of our kids. How we have to make sure our marriage is strengthened enough. How we have to know that our finances are going to provide for themselves. All these things in our own life just begin to exponentiate. And we just hit this wall and we can't fight through it on our own. But that's why God says we are one. And if you read in Paul's letters, when he talks about the body of Christ, he doesn't say that we're just friends, acquaintances, and awkward neighbors. 
we're brothers and we're sisters. And I got to be vulnerable with my roommates and I got to put myself before them and not be afraid of how they would look at me. And I got to embrace in that community. I got to trust them. Because when life gets so hard like that, we have to have others to come along beside us and break through those walls together. Because we can see the huge picture here. There's a big picture to everything. God has an incredible plan. And we always seem to be focusing on what we have, especially if we don't involve ourselves in other people's lives. Verse 25 and 26 O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known. So that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. If you're ever going to talk about Jesus, you know you have to talk about love. So the, the fourth and final point is experiencing love. You're not going to want to be a part of a community where you're not loved, where you don't feel like you belong. In fact, you're going to be like me, where you're just going to try to live life on your own. You see how the church can hurt you and how there's people in there that you just don't like. You see how they live six days out of the week. And you just can't accept that. And so you try to live life on your own and you try to have this own relationship with God and think that that's going to strengthen you enough to get through this life. But Jesus says plainly that he's got this love for us and he's got this love for the whole entire body of Christ and he wants us to live life in community, in true community. And I'm so thankful that River Rock actually offers this and we have it in the name, it's Community Groups where we get to live life with other people, where we get to choose to be vulnerable if we want to, where we get to express our doubts, our fears, our encouragements to one another. And we get to see Jesus, and we get to see the hope that he can bring to people's lives. I don't know about you, but some of the most powerful things I know about God are from the stories I hear from what people have experienced him how they have changed their lives, how he has changed their lives, are the most powerful convictions for myself to live life, to know that God is still out there. So this morning, we're going to take a first step towards breaking one of these walls. And it's called the wall of awkwardness. And so this morning, I'm going to ask for you guys as we close to stand up and to hold hands with those around you as we pray. We're going to make it, fight through this little awkwardness that we have. The best thing I can relate it to is the seventh grade dance that obviously I just hung out by the brownies and punched the entire time, even though I knew I was the best dancer in the class. But, you know, sometimes we just got to be humble, right? So we are going to come into this point now where um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. So would you please stand with me? And would you join hands with those around you? As we embrace this physical touch community, it's awesome. It's loving. And I'm just going to go ahead and pray over us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and that you would allow us to be in community with you. I ask that your presence would be in this place now. That though we are holding what seems strangers' hands, we're holding our brother and sister. 
we are opening up our lives just a little bit to show that we care. God, to love is to do the will for another, the good will, to serve, to love, to do incredible things for your name. And you give us the best example. John 15, 13, love has, love has no other name than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And so we ask for this now, God, that you would continue to show us who you are in community. Bless this community now as we enter into this new season as a church. And thank you, Lord, for your son. In your name I pray, amen.